pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 263. Today I'm going to chat with Emil from Capstone Precision Group, discuss UPS threatening to cancel most of the gun industry, and highlight a new handgun from Springfield Armory. I'm your host, Ava Fullanell, and Emil, how are you doing today? I'm great, Ava. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, but I am laughing to myself because of your name is E, and Peaches wants to say hi. Your name is E M I L. Emil is kind of what I would say. I had a friend actually in New York named Emil, but you pronounce it Emil. Yeah. And, you know, everybody that I know from, uh, so my family was originally from, I think, Slovakia. Uh-huh. We came over with every other dirty, poor person in like the early 1900s <laughs> to New York. Uh-huh. And so I met a, Bul- I, I know a Bulgarian guy and he's like, you say your name wrong. It's, it's Emil. So I'm like, whatever, bro. <laughs> so uh, that's just how we, how we grew up saying it, Emil. Um, but I respond about everything. I was in the army for a long time. So you kind of get used to people butchering your name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that I know how to say it now. Yes. You know, because there's nothing we- worse than being friends with somebody who doesn't know how to pronounce your name properly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're friends again. So okay. congratulations. Okay. Good. Good. Also, I have some exciting news to announce. So today, when the show comes out today, not today as of today, but I'm recording the show a few days prior, but when the show comes out today, I will at this moment be signing for my new house, which I'm really excited about. It's only taken about eight months to get to this point. And, you know, I've had it built and I'm really excited, but I'm at the very end where it's like, okay, do I have this? Do I have that? You know, I mean, just making sure that I had blinds and certain appliances that I didn't get with the builder and uh, just so many things, some new furniture and it's been like a hell of a few months. I'm I'm not going to lie. And then packing everything up and it's just, uh, which I'm still having to pack stuff up, but I'm just, I'm glad that it's like finally coming to an end. And I'm sure you guys are glad because you're not going to have to hear about it anymore. So that's the best part. But Emil, aren't you going to be like, congratulations? I, well, I was going to, I was waiting for my opening, uh, but yeah, I'm very happy for you, David. It's a, it's a big step in, in every, uh, every young person's life, life like yourself. So just joking. But, I'm like, uh, well, I've had a house before. <laughs> this isn't my first house. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I've been, you know, following your, your uh, sort of online mania about this whole process. So I'm, I'm glad it's coming to resolution. And if you need uh, supplier for crocodiles for your moat, or if you need a moat, let me know. I got a good moat guy. Oh, perfect. That's always yeah. good to know. I'll definitely keep that on my uh, Rolodex. Yeah. <laughs> All right, perfect. So moving on with the show. So Smith and Wesson. So if you guys are looking for an easy gun to shoot, definitely check out the Shield Easy from Smith & Wesson. It's one that I always recommend really for anyone who's just kind of looking for an, a gun that's just easy to manipulate, doesn't have a ton of grip strength. And that's just because everything about it is just really easy. The slide's easy to rack. The mags are easy to load. It has those little tabs on the side uh, so that you just press them down kind of like on a 22 mag. 
recoil is really easy to manage. I mean, everything about it is just great. It comes in 380, 9mm, or the new 30 Super Carry. And depending on what caliber you get, it'll hold anywhere from like 8 to 10 rounds, I believe. Definitely check it out. Head on over to smith-wesson.com. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. Emil, you're actually, you're with Capstone Precision Group, which has a bunch of companies underneath it, like uh, Burger Bullets, Lapua Ammo. What other companies are under the umbrella of Capstone? Right. So Capstone uh, Precision Group, we are uh, in the United States, we manufacture and distribute uh, burger bullets and burger ammunition. And we're part of a, a larger company, which also owns Lapua. They make rimfire ammunition, cartridge cases, as reloaders know, and that's uh, you. You had some Lapua cartridge cases in there when you were doing your reloading class mm-hmm. with me, and uh, also Lapua um, ammunition, Vitavori, which is a uh, smokeless gunpowder that's also from Finland, uh, smokeless powder, and SK which is another rimfire brand. So it's kind of a global company. So Capstone, we're the U.S. entity of that larger global company. Oh, nice. Okay. And as you recently said, I've actually have had now some experience with Burger Bullets, Lapua Casings, and the Fitifori. Am I saying that right? Yep. Yeah. With that, when I did that reloading class at Gunsight, and that's where I met you, and you were just a lot of help, really knowledgeable for one, I mean, you were extremely knowledgeable about everything. You were also a lot of help when we went onto the range and we got grouped together, which I apologize, <laughs> really tested your patience that day and the day after, but we both got through it. <laughs> we did. And we've become friends ever since. So, you know, it was a successful event in my eyes. <laughs> yeah, I really liked it. Uh, you know, the the format of it was kind of cool where, you know, all you guys got to learn a little bit about reloading and what all the components are and how to assemble them and what's important and what's really not important. And then going out and actually getting some uh, trigger time and getting to shoot all the way out to about a thousand yards mm-hmm. with the ammunition that you made. So, yeah, I thought it was a really great and unique event. And that kind of, it dovetails into you know, the kind of the stuff that I do for the company. You know, I've, I come from a, a long range uh, shooting background. And so I do a lot of that type of stuff for Capstone. And uh, I talk a lot about long range shooting and wind reading and things like that as part of my role and also, uh, you know, helping out shooters and helping out other companies. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And what is your official title there? I am the uh, director of business development for the United States. Oh, nice. Um, so, uh, and what really that means is my day-to-day job is I work mainly the tactical and the military contracting side of the house for our company. There are some Burger and Vitavori and Lapor products in current U.S. military and sort of allied military products. One uh, major one is the new Army sniper rifle, the Mark 22, which is manufactured by Barrett. They uh, specified there's a Burger 215 grain 
30 caliber bullet. That's the primary bullet that every U.S. Army sniper will be using in probably the next 10, 15 years at least in 300 Norma. And we also have an armor-piercing bullet from Lapua that is part of that weapon system. So, and, you know, uh, just reaching out to different customers and trying to help people make solutions. That's kind of my thing. Very cool. And how did you get into this industry? Because we were talking at the Frankfurt Arsenal event, and it turns out that you used to live in New York. So automatically we had quite a bit in common. We were talking about that and you had some pretty funny stories with your experience while living in New York. But how do you go from New York to in this industry? Well, yeah, I mean, we were both uh, bartenders. Uh, you probably made a lot more in tips than I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so um, I grew up um, about an hour north of the city of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad was a competitive shooter in the military. And we just kind of grew up around it. And so I enlisted in the Army as a young guy. As soon as I graduated high school, I left and I went uh, to the uh, Army 2nd Ranger Battalion in the 75th Ranger Regiment. Uh, So I did that job for a while, uh, got out for a bit, and then went back in the military. And I went back into the U.S. Army Marksmanship Unit down at Fort Benning, Georgia. And so the Army Marksmanship Unit, or the AMU, is the Army's uh, competitive shooting unit. So there's you know, a little less than 100 soldiers down there, and they are full-time competitive shooters for the Army. There are Olympians, you know, Olympic shotgun shooters and uh, small bore, air rifle, pistol, all that stuff. They have a action shooting and three-gun team, so they're usually – those guys are usually winning three-gun national championships and uh, USPSA and – um, we've had a couple soldiers win the win the Bianchi Cup, and uh, my team. I was the head coach down there for about 15 years uh, on the rifle side for the rifle team, and we we shot with accurized uh, M16s and bolt rifles out to a thousand yards. So my main day to day job was, you know, coaching, spotting, uh, training guys how to shoot, and then also. Uh, a big part of my job was going out to other military units, every, everybody from regular army units to uh, special operations units across all the different branches and uh, kind of working on long range shooting and uh, wind reading and things like that. So when I retired from the army, I took a job with Burger Bullets, mainly to handle this type of thing, you know, getting the the brand into more government type of contracts and um, helping with product development. And it's just kind of uh, evolved from there. So uh, a big part of my job is doing events like the one I met you at. I go to lots of shooting competitions. I get to shoot lots of different disciplines, everything from conventional bullseye stuff to NRL and PRS matches, uh, King of Two Mile, extreme long range stuff. I just got back from a an extreme long range event for 22 Rimfire in Minnesota, the King of 0.28 miles, where we shot uh, getting hits on 12 inch plates at over 500 yards for the 22. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I get to do a lot of these different things uh, in my role and work within industry to, you know, how it works, you know, you know, kind of mutual back scratching, so helping support. Uh, one company we work with, we work with a lot is uh, one of the companies as a part of that Frankfurt Arsenal experience with Seekins. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, working with Seekins on some of the projects they have and, you know, you give them, we make ammunition, they make great rifles. And that's just kind of um, how the, how this industry goes, as you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's go back to Burger Bullets. They actually, they started back in 1954 and the person who started it was named Walt Berger and he was trying to build his own custom bullets for Bentress shooting, correct? Right. You know, back in uh, back in those days, there weren't very many really well-made precision bullets on the market. Mm-hmm. And uh, Walt, he said, well, I'll figure it out. So he designed and figured out how to make bullets, how to make jackets, how to make bullets, and and then started his own company selling those bench rest bullets to his fellow shooters and grew the business. And then all the way, I think, you know, it changed hands a few times in the 1990s. And then eventually the modern incarnation of Berger is the company moved from California in 2016 to Mesa, Arizona. One of the main reasons being, you know, it's California is just not a great place to have a company where the thing you make might be illegal (laughs) to possess in the parking lot. Yeah. You know, lead, lead core bullets. Yeah. You know, and uh, so uh, moved to Arizona in 2016 and Walt's grandson, David Hamilton, he's still our plant manager. So he's still in charge of the day-to-day operations of making all the bullets um, down there. Wow. Bullets that are made pretty much the same way he made them. Um, It was something that I didn't really know about until I kind of visited the factory, but I can talk a little bit about how a precision bullet is made. I won't get yeah. too no, I would love uh, to know nerdy. That. No, I would love to know. Cause I, I was actually kind of thinking, I was like, even back in 1954, I'm like, well, how were they making them that, yeah. you know, I mean, I'd imagine, but it's, it's also kind of just interesting that people, that there's so much like such a science behind it, but I, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. But I mean, also- it really isn't super advanced technology wise. It's just, it's more about just like on gunsmithing, you know, somebody that can, who's an, a really great gunsmith that can put a barrel on a rifle or a pistol and have it be really accurate. They're mm-hmm. not using any, you know, strange technology. They're just using old techniques, but doing it really, really well. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with making bullets. So first we start out with a flat sheet of copper we get this kind of strip copper from a couple of different suppliers, and it's at a specification that our guys down there want. They know kind of how soft it needs to be and how stretchy it needs to be. And the ribbon kind of looks like just a, a big spool like of like ribbon, and it goes into a machine, and that machine punches a disc out of that copper. And then it goes in a couple of different dies, different punches, and when you're done – you have a jacket and the jacket looks just like a cup. It looks just like a, just like a cylinder with a closed end on the back. Mm -hmm. And we make them in different diameters and different lengths for different bullets. And then we have a, on the bullet side of the house, um, they take lead wire. It's about, I would say, I don't know, maybe a quarter inch thick lead wire on a big spool. And it goes into this machine we have that cuts the wire and then basically forces that cut piece into another little die that forms a lead core in the right diameter and the right length and everything else. And we manage that lead core weight into the hundredth of a grain. There are 7,000 grains in a pound, by the way. So we're 
the lead core weights were controlling those into the hundredths of a grain. Wow. Um, and so then to put it all together, you take those copper cups, they go into the machine, and then there's another and a little another little tube. The jacket goes into the cup. And then it goes through a series of about three or four different stations where one station basically pushes that lead and kind of smooshes it into the bottom of the cup and forms the, the bottom part of the bullet. And then there's another uh, die that the bullet goes into that kind of forms the nose and then uh, basically forms the tip and then sort of uniforms the tip. And then what comes out on the other end is a bullet. And that's why match and target bullets have a little bit of a hole in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of boat tail, that is because the, the bullet and the jacket, it starts out as just a big open cup. So when you make bullets that way, you're always going to have, even when you squeeze it down to the nose, you're still going to have a little tiny opening. Hmm. And the diameter of that opening is determined by, we have a little pin that pops the bullet back out of the die. So the pin fits in that little hole and knocks the bullet out of the die. And there's lots of steps along that part about you've got to lubricate these things and you've got to, you know, sprinkle, you know, chicken blood on it, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So there's a lot of art and science that kind of goes into this thing. And so it takes a lot longer for us to make the jackets than to make the bullets, to make the total round, actually. But because we make the bullets like that and we hold these incredible tolerances on the jacket. It's our production rate isn't quite as fast as maybe some other companies that are making bullets a little bit faster and slightly different techniques. So, you know, like everybody else in the industry, we are so heavily backordered. We're working as hard as we can. We make about 3 million bullets a month, but we're still, I mean, we're months and months and months behind mm-hmm. like everybody in our industry. Yeah. Emo, I'm going to take a quick break real quick. Talk about primary arms. Primary arms has their brand new SLX 3X micro prism with the ACSS Raptor in stock for both the 556, 308, 762 by 39 and 300 blackout. They're fantastic on an AR or any other gun built extremely rugged. It's a prism, so you always have a reticle, but it has 13 illumination settings and auto live so that the battery lasts for at least 29,000 hours. The etched reticle makes it a great option if you have a astigmatism. They also have a full 80 MOA of adjustment so that you can zero them for just about anything. MSRP in these is only $319. Check these out at primaryarms.com. Don't forget to use the code GUNFUNNY for a free Expo Arms stopping device when you buy a Expo Arms Combat Series 5.56 barrel. And again, that is primaryarms.com. How did COVID affect you guys in in terms of, I mean, I would would assume maybe supplies, but also with employees. I would say the thing that our biggest effect was getting things in our supply chain and transportation costs. Mm. We do get some stuff from Europe. One of our copper suppliers was in Europe and COVID just shut every freaking thing down in Europe. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, those governments were paying people to not come to work. Yeah. So, I mean, what would you do if you worked in a 
freaking copper factory in Germany. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, okay, bro. I'm going to sit home yeah. and eat schnitzel and drink beer, you know, <laughs> yeah. and watch, watch the housewives of Beverly Hills. You know, why would I, why would I go to work at a copper factory? Right. So that was probably the biggest effect. We kept working the whole time and uh, not to get political, but we were, you know, luckily we were able to uh, escape any sort of government mandate or uh, one, th- one good thing was we're in Arizona, but these mandates on, uh, you know, having the workforce be uh, vaccinated, et cetera, um, you know, there were lots of other companies that that really impacted the, their, their, their staff and how many people would just come to work because of it. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of lucky to escape that right at the point where it looked like we were going to have to, like every company mm-hmm. um, that had over X amount of employees than the the president said, we're not going to do that. So um, yeah, we were really lucky. Uh, but the biggest effect with COVID for us was, was the demand. That's when it went bananas. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe just the fact that people were home and they had time to, you know, work on their hobbies. You saw every hobby just went crazy. Oh, like yeah. if, right. I mean, if you like, you know, building models, you went to the hobby store, there are no models mm-hmm. all of a sudden, oh, yeah. you know? So I mean, even um, baking, like you couldn't get flour for the yeah, longest time because everyone was baking at home. Yeah. Every asshole had a sourdough starter. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So <laughs> including me. Right. So, you know, I'm like, okay, so I can go cut my own wheat, maybe and I <laughs> yeah. get a couple of rocks and grind together. <laughs> but yeah, it was the demand started there. And then, you know, that was the same year when, you know, we had all that unrest in the country and then it just, the the order quantities just, you know, we sell the distributors. That's kind of our model right now. Mm-hmm. So just those orders. And there's, I, they're starting to taper off um, for us from some of the large distributors, but there's still, those monthly orders we get are still exceeding our ability to either import or make stuff. Yeah. So, you know, there, there isn't a, there isn't a global conspiracy by the UN to deny you know, American reloaders and shooters, components and ammunition. It's just, you know, and then the events in Europe have not helped at all either because now you've got, since February, all these countries overseas have realized that they've been sort of not prepared the way they should have been. So those governments are now all buying up ammunition and buying components to make ammunition from all over the world. Hmm. So it's a global phenomenon, not just a U.S. one. Yeah, interesting. And then let's talk about Lapua. That brass, and maybe my listeners were on the same page with me, but for some reason I just assumed like brass is brass. Like obviously I thought as long as it's not steel casing, you know, and and as far as how many times you could reload it. And, but even that reloading class really kind of opened my eyes to, you know, the difference between just like quality, great stuff versus, you know, so let's talk about kind of like what sets Lopua from your competitors, even though they're not really competitors when you guys are offering such great quality. Well, the, um, uh, the main, so, you know, with reloading, it is all about stacking kind of, you know, the more errors that you kind of stack up, the, the worst result you're going to have in the end, right? So, and so in reloading, there are some things that do make a difference. So the uniformity of the cartridge cases, so the uniformity of how they're made, sort of the content, the type of the metal, the interior of volume, the exterior dimensions, 
all those things means a lot in terms of like how your round will perform when you fire it. So if uh, in, in bench rest and in like F class, these disciplines where these guys are doing every single thing you could possibly do to measuring bullets and everything else, they pretty much all use Lapua cases. And the reasons are, first of all, they last a long time. They're designed to have, you know, at least 10 reloads. Mm -hmm. If you're using using them in a, in a sort of a normal manner, they will give you better muzzle velocity extreme spreads. Uh, so, and that's a big thing with um, long range shooting and external ballistics. If your velocity varies a lot, that means your bullet is just going different speeds as it leaves the muzzle. And one of the components in, in exterior ballistics is the velocity. So the faster a round is or the slower round is, it's going to have an impact on different points on the target. So you want to do everything you can to get that extreme spread of your muzzle velocity as close as possible. You know, And I've been reloading a long time, and if you're using Lapua cases and you're using best practices – it's not uncommon to load ammunition and shoot 10 rounds and have the total extreme spread of velocity be 10, 12, or 13 feet per second total, mm -hmm. which is remarkable that you know regular hand loaders at home can do that. So, and all the things, if you've ever went to Lapua and had them in Finland and have them uh, watch them make the cases, I mean, they're it's like watching a, you know, uh, building a spaceship or something. The level of technology and the, the systems of checks and balances and QA, QC, measuring things with lasers, all the kind of, you know, it's like that scene in Step Brothers, you know, where they're both looking through magnifying glasses. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much that's what happens a lot. It's an old, co it's a company. They've been around for a long time. They've been Finland's main um, supplier of ammunition since the 1920s. And the Soviet Union, the Russians actually tried to bomb the factory during the war that Finland had with Russia in 1939 to show you how long they've been around. Wow. And Lapo also makes rimfire. So they make the best rimfire ammunition in the world. If you go to the Olympics or like the biathlon and the winter games, uh, the majority of shooters are using Lapua Rimfire um, to get gold medals. Hmm. But it, it is a premium brand. It's expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, it's if somebody just wants, you know, to go down to and shoot some cans off a fence, you're you're way overpaying for that capability if you're buying Lapua. <laughs> so and, and what does that typically go for price wise? Um, like I'm not round? sure. I, I'm not sure. I mean we, we like I say we sell uh, to many distributors uh go on midway but typically you know i would say that the the higher end stuff is you know around you know 30 cents or so per round for that mm -hmm. which is probably about triple mm -hmm. yeah what sort of commodity rimfire would be but again it's tested it's tested in competition rifles they they group test and we also have so we have two facilities that people can come and uh test their rifle with our rimfire ammunition. We've got one in uh, Ohio. We've got one in Mesa, Arizona. Where, and we have a lot of guys that shoot bench rest with 22, lots of guys that shoot PRS and uh, NRL with 22. They come down, they'll bring their voodoo rifle or their other you know, high-end uh, competition 22 rimfire 
rifle down there and we will take batches for lots of ammunition and shoot them and measure the groups electronically at 50 and 100 yards and get you the, the, the tightest shooting ammunition at a different lot. So yeah, so I mean, it's all, it's all designed and catered towards really the competition shooter. But nowadays, I think that's the biggest change in, the, in our whole industry and in our whole shooting world is that, you know, way back when, 20, 30 years ago, the only people that were buying this stuff and doing all these things were people that were shooting like conventional shooting disciplines. Like mm-hmm. maybe they shot some NRA stuff or they were small bore shooters. Uh, or there are bench rest guys. Now there's so many people because there's so many great rifles out there available that are accurate right out of the box that people are just demanding more and more and more. It just and the accessibility of uh, of how to reload. I think that's the biggest part of our whole sort of industry that's growing right now is how many people are choosing to reload. Also, not only to save a little money. I'm not sure it actually saves any money at mm-hmm. first, to be honest. Yeah. But you, you can control all those variables. I mean, you remember trickling that powder out, you know, almost to the kernel, mm-hmm. right? To get it to the exact weight. So that's the type of control that you have when yeah. you reload. Exactly. And so that's what I was thinking. Like if I were to get into, you know, competition shooting, I think that that's when I would take up reloading, not to save money, because I don't think it saves that much, but it's more that you're getting sort of, you know, a leg up on the competition if you create your own ammo and you know exactly like what your gun likes. And even, you know, at that event, the Franklin Arsenal event, we all had seeking precision rifles and even just measuring out, like to see like how far the bullet seated in the chamber. And I don't know exactly what that's called, but we're here. We all have the exact same gun. There was like maybe what, 12 of us in the class and it all varied pretty significantly. So everyone's gun, even if it is the exact same gun and you know, your friend over here with the same gun, this is what he's doing to create his own ammo. It doesn't mean like, Oh, cool. You could take his recipe and you're going to have those exact same results. Like it is going to vary a little bit because even your gun's slightly different. That is true. And even from bullet to bullet, sometimes you were talking about measuring the overall length of the of the round. So basically, uh, how how much room there was from where you put your bullet in the case to when it touches the rifling's, yeah. right? Yes. And some bullets, but some people refer to that as jump. So you know, essentially, how much the bullet kind of leaves leaves the case, how much freebore. Basically, the bullet is going in flight unsupported until it contacts the rifling's. Some bullets are more accurate with, um, you know, right, really close to the rifling, some like a lot of distance, some are kind of in the middle. So having the ability to measure that and just do R&D and, and find out what works best for you. Yeah. And, you know, the biggest thing about competition and reloading is you, you have the utmost confidence in your ammunition. So that's just one thing you can sort of check off of your, mm-hmm. you know, your, your sort of your mental management crap I have to worry about. Yeah. And people tend to shoot better when they have confidence in their equipment. I mean, you, you definitely know that from training so many people, mm-hmm. you know, or, or if there's something, if there's a mistake or the, the bullet doesn't go where they think it goes automatically going, okay, that was something that I did. And then you kind of rewind your little game film and figure out what you did in real time, that feedback loop 
of always trying to get closer to the center and hit your target, you know, kind of throwing out the thing that something's wrong with my rifle or something's wrong with my ammunition, that will make you a better shooter Mm -hmm. in the moment. Yeah. I'm going to take another quick break real quick and talk about Mantis. Mantis has a great visible way to train with your firearm. The Laser Academy, it gives you everything that you need to practice with the smartphone app and improve your skills without the cost of ammo. The app gives you insights on what you're doing wrong, something that you can't just get by dry firing. The standard kit comes with a choice of calibers for the laser, a carrying case, two tripods and phone holders and target stands all for $150, or you can get the portable kit for just $99. The app has a bunch of drill options that you can run as well as fun practice options to make things interesting. It currently has 14 modes, including dual modes for friendly competition and more in development. If you're interested in these, head on over to mantisx.com. You've been in the industry for a while now and you've seen lots of supply and demand issues, I guess, like through, I mean, even just in the course of 10 years that I've been in the industry, I've seen where for the longest time, like you couldn't get 22 long rifle and then, you know, a lot of the other ammo got more expensive and kind of scarce and then it leveled out and it seemed like distributors were like basically giving it away for what they were charging And now ammo is a little more expensive than it usually is, but we kind of see it leveling out just slightly a little bit. And I think it'll go down even more, but wasn't there at one point there was a, for people who were reloading, because that was their biggest thing. I was like, yeah, well, I have all my reloading equipment. So if ammo becomes scarce, like I could just make my own, but wasn't it like even 10 years ago, was it powder that they couldn't find gunpowder that was hard to find? And then this time around it was primers. Yeah, I mean, these things run in cycles, and there was a, another like, – when President Obama was first elected, yeah. these things sometimes – they coincide with – it was cases and powder then. Okay. And um, you know, our industry had uh, the Trump slump, so a lot of people thought that Donald Trump was not going to win, mm-hmm. right? So you, know, you kind of make business decisions on, okay, well – if Hillary Clinton is elected, we know that there's going to be this huge run on everything, components, ammunition. And so lots of companies, they spent capital and created inventory. Mm-hmm. And then when President Trump was elected, we saw all the orders and everything just drop the bottom, dropped right out of it mm-hmm. because people weren't worried as much. And so one of the, one of the challenges here, you know, I know I've, we, I've heard it myself. I've talked to plenty of people and they're like, well, you know, you guys know how much uh, your stuff's in demand and you know how much you're in back order. Spend money and, you know, grow, uh, you know, go ahead and invest in infrastructure. But, you know, a lot, first of all, these things take a, a couple of years sometimes to, to build up and create a new capability. And then you have to kind of weigh, well, will there still be the same demand? Will there be another political thing that happens where the demand goes away? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, convincing bean counters, it was up to me, dude, you know, I'll spend money. But, you know, convincing bean counters and bill payers to spend money and invest is, is a different thing. Yeah. You know, especially these overseas companies that make primers and things like that. So, uh, so that's a real, that's a real challenge is kind of like, reading trying to read the tea leaves and figure out which way the market's going to go and you know 
you know, we use some we use some uh, components, and uh, in some of our armor piercing stuff, we use some of these things that uh, we're competing against um, electric car battery manufacturers to get some of these things to make armor piercing ammunition. So, you know, the prices of of the things you have to buy sometimes they they fluctuate. For a while, lead was up hundreds of percent of a percent in cost. Wow. You know, if you're a bullet maker, that's a huge expense. Mm-hmm. So you're like, well, I'm only going to buy as much as I absolutely have to have until the price drops. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of layers to these things, you know, reasons why, you know, we in the industry are, we're trying our best, but we're still behind. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also why there's been price increases from everybody. Yeah, You know, it's not industry trying to gouge people. It's just trying to cover our own costs of uh, and maintain our same margins, really. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens at the distributor, I, we, you know, we can't usually control if Bob's gun shop in, you know, in Westchester County, New York decides to, you know, charge $35 for a box of rimfire ammunition. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We, can, we can't control that. Yeah. Yeah. Changing it up just a little bit. So you guys recently came out with some new bullets, correct? Yes. So. We have a uh, we have a line of bullets called Long Range Hybrid Target and Burger, mm-hmm. and with these bullets, we have uh, maximized the uniformity of these bullets um, in of in flight performance. So for long range shooting, you really want your what people don't realize is you know they use words like uh, ballistic coefficient things like that. Ballistic coefficient is a measurement of a bullet's ability really to penetrate the air. Okay, uh, so every time you fire a bullet out of a barrel, it actually, and you, if you were to measure it with something like radar or whatever, and you shot a hundred bullets, you'd get one hundred different measurements of of that bullet's drag, because not every bullet is the same, and as bullets fly through the air, how they spin and how they're stabilized. Sometimes there's little inconsistencies there because of bullet design. So our our line of uh, long range hybrid target bullets they have the lowest uh, sort of standard deviation of ballistic performance on the market, bar none. And we do that a couple of different ways by we've got a, a, a separate manufacturing process where we uniform the nose. Um, we're really careful with uh, the height of the lead line of the bullet, all this kind of bullet nerd stuff. Um, the end result is they perform extremely well at long range. And so we've got them in uh, 6 mil, 6.5, 22 cal, 6, six mil, 6.5, six uh, 7 mil, and uh, 30 caliber, a few in each. And uh, and we've got some really good articles. If, if any of your listeners want to learn more about just ballistics, external ballistics, what a ballistic coefficient is, all that stuff. Uh, we're really fortunate at Berger to have Brian Litz as part of our organization. And uh, in the ballistics world, Brian is, I mean, he, the guy is a genius, a legit genius. I mean, I, I think I'm pretty smart, but I'm clearly not the smartest guy in the room when Brian's in the room. <laughs> but, and, but he's uh, wearing off on you, though. Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you so much. I think uh, so. But he wrote some articles about uh, ballistic coefficients and ballistic performance, and kind of explain what we're really after in Burger, and when we make a new product, like what's important to us. Mm-hmm. There's marketing and bullets, just like marketing and everything else. Like 
you know, people market cars by zero to 60 times or, you know, how many miles per gallon they get. But sometimes that's not the whole story. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what we what we really try to focus on is the total performance of the bullet, how uniform it is, how consistent it is, everything. So you can look at all of our products by going to our Capstone Precision Group website. Yeah, it's capstonepg.com. And that will take you to all of the different websites. You can go to Lapua, um, Vitavori, Burger, SK. But if people really want to learn about ballistics, if you go to burgerbullets.com, and then on that uh, page, uh, there's, a, there's one of the tabs is called resources. And under resources, if you go over to ballistics, uh, we've got a couple of cool things there. We have an online free ballistic calculator. So it'll let you make your own dope card and you can print it out. Um, mm -hmm. We have a twist rate stability calculator. So if, if a reloader is trying to figure out which bullet goes with which barrel, if they're thinking about getting a new barrel for their rifle, and then there's at the bottom is a thing called no BSBC, and uh, that's where we have uh, lots of content that Brian developed, uh, just kind of trying to educate our customers about what is the BC, what does BC consistency mean, accuracy and precision, and it relates to BC. So there's lots of really good information there, and I encourage all your listeners to go there and read about it. Nice. Okay, cool. And then I guess wrapping up, is there anything that you can share with us that you have planned for the future? Um, well, let's see. Other than uh, all the cool trips. I'm so jealous of all the countries that you get to go to. Every time well, I talk going, to you, you're going somewhere cool. I'm going to Mexico on Thursday to compete in an international match in the shooting discipline of it's called silhouette shooting. And it's all standing offhand. Nice. And you shoot at these little tiny targets and the little tiny steel targets. They look there's chickens and there's pigs and turkeys and rams. And you shoot from 40 meters out to 100 meters with a rimfire. And those targets are tiny. It might be the hardest thing I've shot among all the things that I've shot. Mm -hmm. So we're going down there. And it's an international uh, match between the shooters of Canada, Mexico, and the United States. It's called the Lapua Monarch Cup. And uh, they can learn about it. There's a website for the Lapua Monarch Cup. They can check it out. So that's I'm leaving here in a couple of days to uh, go down to that match. And then after that, I'm uh, going to the uh, AUSA, which is the Association of the United States Army. It's kind of a trade show, but it's only for the military. It's like a shot show, but just military stuff, a little mini shot show. Mm -hmm. And that's in D.C. And then, you know, selling hand grenades and everything else. That's part mm -hmm. of my job, too. Nice. I got them. I got us. We have a hand grenade sale. So get with me later. I'll give you a coupon code. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely need some. <laughs> I mean, you never know, you know, you do never know. Yeah, and what if I don't like my new neighbors? <laughs> That's right. One well plays hand grenade. Can yeah. change someone's opinion <laughs> on a privacy fence Yes. with a quickness. Exactly. All right. Awesome. And then for people who want to follow you on social media, I know you mentioned the website, but where are you guys on social media? Um, we've got uh, Instagram and Twitter, Burger Bullets, and all the different brands have their own Instagram okay. and Facebook page. So Vitavori, it's V-I-H-T-A-V-O-U-R-I. -I. Uh, it's from it's a town in Finland. And Lapua and Burger and SK all have their own have their own Facebook pages and Instagram accounts. 
And that's where we usually put stuff up. And I am the only Emil Praslik on planet Earth on Facebook. If anybody has questions about wind reading or long range shooting, I'm happy to respond. Send me a message. I'm an open book. Okay, perfect. Moving forward with the rest of the show, Caldwell has some of the most affordable quality steel targets around. They're all hardened AR-500 steel rated to withstand bullets at 3,000 feet per second with up to 3,500 foot-pounds of energy. They come in a ton of different sizes, and right now they've got their big 13-inch octagon on sale for only $64.05. They also have several options to hang them, including the 2x4 hangers, T-post hangers, and straps, ranging from $21.99 to $24.99. Check these out at coldwellshooting.com. And don't forget to use the code GUNFUNNY10. That's all one word, and that's going to get you 10% off your order. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's political AF. Emil, I know you have to go and you can't stay for the rest of the show, but I really want to hear what your thoughts are on the political segment. Just real quickly, let me just kind of summarize what's going on. UPS threatens to cancel most of the gun industry. UPS has stepped up its persecution of the gun industry and are now requiring online sellers to ship an average of 50 handguns daily to use its second day air service. If FFLs don't ship at least 350 handguns a week, they risk losing their shipping accounts. Under the revised agreement, they are only required to give customers a 10-day notice before cutting off their service. That volume makes it impossible to ship a handgun for most dealers unless they use next-day air service, which, let's face it, is expensive. The letter advising firearm dealers of the new rules also references updating their rules to be in line with ATF regulations, which most likely refers to the new regulations on privately manufactured firearms. Regarding 80% firearms, though, UPS has gone much further than even the new rules required. And remember, the new rules are not law. No legislation was passed. The ATF changed the rules without any legislative authority. UPS canceled the account of ghost firearms and announced that they would seize and destroy packages en route to customers. So that constitutes illegal theft and destruction of personal property. And I'm kind of just sitting back waiting to see what happens with that. But basically what we're seeing here is another form of backdoor gun control where they're trying to starve out small dealers and manufacturers. And it's pretty much the same gun control organizations that have been trying to get FedEx and other shippers to adopt similar policies on firearms so that we might be cornered. Emil, what are your thoughts on this? So, I mean, that's my personally, this, you know, I, I don't have my capstone hat on. This is just, you know, Emil and you know, that's the sneaky sort of shadow banning that mm-hmm. I think will be the most impactful on us and our industry mm-hmm. and probably the easiest for them to do. And the thing that really makes me worried is that, you know, they're getting smarter and smarter people on the anti-gun side of the house. Yeah. You know, you know, this this guy that was the ATF nominee, that guy's that guy spent decades in the ATF and his day job before they put him up for head of the ATF was he was uh, on, you know, on contract. He was writing 
legislation for different senators and congressmen. And so if you look at some of these new, you know, I live in Washington state, so, you know, we're hit with it too. And the way they're writing these rules now, it's, it's not like they don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so I think they know that, um, you know, there's lots of ammunition reloading components also that gets sold and by mail and shipped and especially with e-commerce. And so that's what I'm truly worried about. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, at this point, so it's starting with handguns, but Tomorrow it could be anything, anything that's just like credit cards. I know, right, right. you know, like for the longest time, my business, I used to bank with Chase Bank. And then one day it just, my credit card machine wasn't working. I'm like, what's going on? And Chase, you know, no heads up, nothing. They dropped me because they realized that I had an FFL and I was selling guns. And so, yep. and I've said this before, they're coming at us from all different angles, but it's kind of like that cancel culture. And well, that, that they had the, uh, I saw an interview today on like CNBC. It popped up on my Twitter where um, Visa is now going to be adding a category, a firearms category, yeah. to purchases. Yeah, you know, and again, these are these are ways they can probably pressure retailers just to not do business in mm -hmm. that area anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. So, like you say, from all directions, and you know, I have my own opinions about where they should be spending their efforts, but it certainly isn't on, you know, law abiding enthusiasts of shooting, mm -hmm. um, you know, that constitution, constitutionally it's in the bloody document. We're not the threat, but you know, the, the best thing for this honestly is, is education and awareness, you know, try to go out there and try to bring somebody new to the range, you know, like try to show them what, what shooting is really all about and why it's cool and why it's beneficial. And, you know, I think that's, I think yeah. that's the, I try to do as many times as I can, you know, my friends we have up here that are maybe very liberal, I'll take them to the range. And next thing you know, they're, they want to be part of the shooting community. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's a hard thing not to have fun doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate your feedback. And again, I just wanted to get, you know, your feedback on that just because, like I said, it could trickle down to other parts of the industry, such as, you know, bullets, brass, gunpowder, all of that stuff. But as always, I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on the show. And I'm actually going to have you on in the future, the near future, to talk about long range shooting, windage, stuff like that, correct? Yeah, uh, you know what what it takes to shoot long range. Why it shouldn't be intimidating to people, mm -hmm. and a little bit about how to read the wind at long range. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have you on here very soon, probably in the next month and a half. So if you guys are you know anxious to hear about that, you'll hear about it fairly soon. And again, uh, I just wanted to thank you for your time, and I will hear from you, I guess, soon. And listeners will hear from you, I guess, within like the next month and a half. Always a pleasure. Amber. All right. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Thank you. Taking the show over solo now. Franklin Armory. Franklin Armory has binary triggers for so many guns now, including the Ruger PC charger and the carbine. It works in most of the 9mm and 40 cal PC carbine housings, which 
One of those especially suppressed is going to be a lot of fun. Just like the other binary triggers, if you fire the first shot and let's say you choose not to shoot it in binary mode, just flip it off binary mode onto semi-auto and you can cancel that second shot. And like I've said this in previous shows, you always have the option of either shooting it in semi-auto mode or binary so you're not just stuck shooting one or the other. Check these out at franklinarmory.com. Remember to use the code AVA, that's A-V-A, and you're going to get 10% off your entire order. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Today's Q&A. Somebody asked me recently, how bad are these new credit card tracking codes? I will say it's definitely not good. Companies are now going to be tracking when you purchase firearms and ammunition. No law has been passed for this to happen. This is the work of activists who have convinced credit card companies to flag you for investigation and block transactions simply because obviously they don't like firearms. They keep talking about targeting, quote, illegal sales with this. However, this is a lie. Because let's face it, most illegal transactions don't accept credit card. You're not going to buy a gun, you know, illegally on the street and they're going to swipe your credit card. You're most likely going to pay in cash or, you know, do some sort of uh, exchange or something like that. So, I mean, this is pretty ridiculous. So even for anybody to believe that this is, you know, what the end goal is, is ridiculous. Basically, every single transaction that's made with, you know, using a credit card processor will be a sale that's already passed a background check, meaning that the sale is already 100% legal. This is only about tracking lawful purchases with the intent to target law-abiding gun owners. How quickly they start targeting law-abiding gun owners, we'll have to see, but these are definitely the same companies that love to shut down accounts of businesses simply because they have firearms in the company name and they don't go in accordance with their agenda. But I don't know. It's just crazy to me how many companies nowadays are siding politically and taking sides and, you know, either they've adopted this cancel culture or they've jumped on board and think that this is somehow, you know, like, okay to do. And and I guess, you know, moving forward, I know there are quite a few stores, uh, DCF Guns, the store that I became partners with. We're trying to figure out ways around this. But also, I mean, I guess in the meantime, you could always pay, you know, with cash, but even that's changed significantly. I mean, just recently I was selling stuff on Facebook marketplace because I'm moving and really very few people even have cash nowadays. They'll pay with either PayPal or Venmo or any of those apps, but very few people even have cash. So even cash is kind of becoming like sort of obsolete. And in a way it's almost like, you know, the government made it like that so that they can track everything that you are purchasing and doing, which is pretty scary. IWI. If you're wanting a compact rifle with some extra oomph, you should check out the Tavor 7. It's the modern Tavor sized up for the 762 by 51 NATO for extra range and energy. It has all the same ambidextrous and modern features of the other Tavors with a few extra features. You can lock the charging handle to the back without using the bolt catch. It uses the M4 style mag release and it has a 45 degree safety. It also has a four position gas regulator. 
Check these out at IWI.us. And if you find any accessories in the web store, remember to use the code GUNFUNNY15. That's all one word. That's going to get you 15% off your entire order. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. Springfield releases the Prodigy. I've been wanting to talk about this actually for a little while since it came out. And it came out, I'd say, maybe two weeks ago. But the new Prodigy, which is Springfield's new gun, it's caused quite a bit of stir in the 2011 world. It's their first of the new line of the double stacks, but it's really an upgraded 1911 rather than a 2011. It doesn't share the same modular frame design that a 2011 does. Instead, it follows a more traditional 1911 design and has a full steel frame. It has either the 4.25 inch or 5 inch bull barrels. Slide and barrel are finished in a black Cerakote. It comes with a fiber optic front sight and black rear sight, which is pretty standard for competition shooting. The slide is also optic ready, which is nice since a lot of competition guns, you know, you have to pay for that as an upgrade. One smart move that they made is it uses magazines compatible with the Staccato. It comes with one 17 round and one 20 round mag. You can also get a 26 round mag as well. Any standard 2011 mags with extensions will also work. It's definitely being hyped as a staccato killer, though not being a 2011. I don't know how much that's going to prove to be the case. It's definitely a little heavier than your typical 2011 with the steel frame, though for competition, that's not necessarily a drawback. The biggest thing is MSRP on these is without the optic, it's $14.99. And then with the optic, which you can get it with the Springfield, the Hex Dragonfly Red Dot on it for $1,699. It's definitely priced well compared to what you would pay for a staccato, which is like a lot more. I mean, I actually recently saw a staccato online in the 2000 range, but it's usually even in the 3000, you know, 4000 range. But so far, so our range has one that we've been renting out actually all three locations. We've had issues with all three and they've had feeding issues. And it seems like you have to put about 250 rounds through it before they start to run well. I also have a friend that bought one and he took it apart to upgrade the trigger. And he noticed that there was a lot of tooling marks on all of the parts and that a lot of the pieces weren't as good of quality as they probably should be. And he noticed that there was also a lot of potted steel parts. I don't know. I mean, it's good that there's other manufacturers exploring this because I don't know. Sometimes I look at some of these guns like that infinity gun. I think like that starts off at like maybe five or $6,000. And I mean, it could go up to like outrageous costs. And I'm just like, okay, at what point, you know, unless you're like buying a full auto, I'm like, at what point are we going to be like, all right, that's just kind of crazy. Like, I do think that some of these prices are getting a little out of hand. So in one way, it's nice to see other manufacturers that are making stuff that's in high demand that isn't going to break the bank. You know, I mean, still 15 to $1,700 is still expensive, but it is nice that there's more affordable options out there. But then on the other hand, it would be nice if, you know, I mean, hell, if I was paying $1,700 for a gun, I wouldn't want to have to put 250 rounds through it in order for it to run without having to malfunction like every other shot. 
I don't know. I guess we'll see as more reviews come out. It's funny. I actually contacted Springfield and asked if I could get a gun to review. They told me no, but they said I could buy one for a discounted rate. And I kind of had a laugh because I'm like, okay, so they don't hesitate to send me every freaking version of the Hellcat that I really could care less about. But any of the cool guns that they come out with and I'm like, oh, I would have loved to have gotten that gun and like, you know, really reviewed it. Then it's like, eh, I don't know. I mean, I've seen them. They have given them to a few females, so I'm not saying it's like a total female thing, but it would just be nice if they just didn't, I guess, pigeonhole everybody. But yeah, anyway, so if you guys want to check out more about that gun again, it's called the Prodigy and Springfield Armory makes it. And now it's time to wrap up. If you guys enjoy the show and you want to support it, you should highly consider becoming a Patreon. All you have to do is go to gunfunny.com, click on the support the show link and make a donation. It could be a one-time donation or a monthly donation. You'll get access to the Patreon only Facebook group, which is a lot of fun. Lots of good people in that group. They've really become like family, but we're just always talking about either industry stuff, you know, maybe gun related stuff and maybe not gun related stuff. So it's just always a lot of fun. Also, Blown Deadline, he gives away a $300 gift certificate to a lucky patron every month. And then for the $5 and up Patreons, if you've been a Patreon for more than three months, you'll get a Gun Funny patch that will never be for sale. So if you have this Gun Funny patch, you're like in the Cool Kids Club. And if anybody else sees anybody else having it, you know for a fact, like at one point they were a Patreon. So that's also a nice little incentive. I want to thank the $25 Patreons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran, 8888, Sake Holsters, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Callamore, Daniel Lee, Nick Theodosian, Tristan Smith, and Melissa Ridings. And then, of course, I want to thank King of the Patreon, Jon Snow. And lastly, just want to give a shout out to Emil from Capstone Precision Group. I really appreciate his time, and as promised, I will have him on the show here soon to discuss long-range shooting, which I think you guys will all enjoy. I hope you guys have a great week, and I will talk to you next Monday. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.